Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. The baseball season is winding down, but we're about to have the two biggest months of the regular season. So you're definitely going to be wanting tickets. If your team's in, con in, in contention, you might be making a decision kind of at the last minute. You know what? It's Tuesday night. Let's go ahead and go. You jump on SeatGeek. And you're going to guarantee yourself the best prices, even with that sort of uh, game day type of buying, as opposed to buying them in, in advance. And because SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets to a game or concert, that's 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 kind of how I know. I, I actually use the product here. I have the app on my phone, and it, it's great. It's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full pr ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do to get that $20 rebate is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Welcome to episode 379 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It's Thursday, August 18th. This is our second go of Idioms on Vacation. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Paul Costava. Paul, how good was last night's podcast? It was great, and I think I think we're going to top it tonight. I, I, I feel like we're going to... Because now we know where we're going to go with stuff, and we're going to take it to the next level. I, I mean, I'm going to go the positive end. I was pretty angry when I saw that it happened. For those of you who've been following... Been having some recording issues left and right lately, and this was particularly bothersome because it was not the same recording software. You know, I've been kind of asking for it with with some of the uh, previous hiccups because I'm using stuff that I know has been sketchy when the Skype auto updates and all that sort of stuff. So I went away from that, got a new one. We did a test. The test worked. It was good to go and. Then we did the actual show, and it didn't work. And I, I just I don't understand why. Uh, it's very frustrating to use an hour of of you and your friends' time, create a great podcast, and then it's it's gone. And that's that's what happened yesterday. But you know what? Like you said, we're gonna we're gonna redo it. It's gonna be better, and we're gonna be back again tomorrow uh, to fill in for the Friday episode. So you gotta you had to wait a little bit longer between episodes from Sunday to Thursday, but now you get. Two back to back to set up the weekend, Paul. So and his uh, friend McGriff and his friend McGriff would say, back to back to back to back to back, championships. So then we have to do Saturday and then Jason and I Sunday and then Eno and I Monday, and then we have to throw the ball into the trash can from the outfield one hop, and that's how you get those AAU championships from Tom Mansky. 
to back to back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. If you just want one AAU championship, then don't you don't have to practice. You just skate on your bullshit talent. But if you want to come through with back to 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 back AAAAAU championships, you got to get Tom Amansky and Fred McGriff on your side. We, I used that as a kid, actually. I don't know if I've ever told you that. My dad actually got the tape, and we did the Tom Amanskis out in the field. That's and, the greatest um, thing I've ever been told. Yeah, we used um, – we did the whole, like, the way you throw at your glove. Like, it's a whole process and everything. It actually – there's some there's definitely some flaws with it, but for kids from, like, New York who really didn't have any real good – you know, we had our parents coaching, which was fine, but sure. we didn't have no pros. It actually, like, kind of did the job, and we, were, we, we threw pretty well for a little while. So it did help out. Well, um, Eric Malinowski, I believe I'm pronouncing his name the right way, did an amazing uh, deep dive, I think it was him, into Tom Amansky and kind of what his life has become since then. Yeah, it, it, it sure is up there still on uh, Fox Sports. I'll try to link it if I remember uh, because sometimes I say I'll link something and then I forget, <laughs> Paul, an hour later when I'm posting the podcast. But did a fantastic breakdown uh of that whole thing how how it you know rose to fame for tom amansky and, and kind of what he's up to now so i encourage people to check that out one other thing that you know or, or one thing that kind of came out of having to re-record a night later is we can now talk about uh jake arietta and his continued oh. issues with walks and you know what was it seven to not today against uh, this afternoon against milwaukee Seven, dude, against Milwaukee. Not a particularly, like, I wouldn't say a, a super patient team or anything like that. No, 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 certainly not. And the thing was, he kind of finished June with a bunch of them, uh, did, did Arietta. In fact, in June, he had the weird pattern of uh, one, two, three, four, five. He had five starts and then one walk, two walk, three walks. Ended the month with five. And they kind of got it in check a little bit, twos and ones through most of July, uh, even into August, and then now seven. So it's been kind of a sporadic thing. I I kind of investigated it for rotographs around the time that he had that five spot, and I honestly didn't really see anything that was necessarily wrong. Where I was like, you know what, this is a major issue. It's going to continue. He's you know he watch list, watch out. I didn't really see that. I I thought it was a situation where it would kind of come back, uh, come back to regression, and it did. It it really started to. Right in, right in July, but now we see a seven. That's his worst of the year. He has several fours. He has the five I mentioned. What do you think is going on with Jake Arrieta? Are we seeing a, a slow fraying of, of his elite skills, or is there maybe an injury here? Ooh, you know, and I always, I always appreciate that you, you bring up that injury because I never think of that. That's never on the forefront of my mind with it. From what I was seeing earlier, I didn't see today's start, but from what I've seen earlier in the season was – Guys, stop biting on that on that on his breaking pitches. Same and thing that happened to he, Keiko, by the way. And he got really stubborn. It seemed like, and he kept throwing it and said, "You know what? I'm almost like Nolan Ryan type of behavior, where it's like, oh yeah, well, you're just not going to hit the ball. I'll walk you before I let you hit the ball, and I'll keep throwing this pitch. You're gonna eventually swing. Teams weren't swinging. I'll, I'll Today he a, gave up. He's like, I'll find a different idiot in the lineup who will swing at it. I'll just walk you." And he, he even served up a home run to the, the ever-powerful, the ever-mighty, who I talked about on the podcast earlier this week with the friends with um, Fantasy Benefits. Um, our own Justin Mason. 
our own Justin Mason, the, the ever-powerful Kirk Neuenheis oh, man. had a three-run bomb how's today. He got, how's he got 11 bombs? How's he even got 11? Well, he's playing all the time. It's true. He's got some punch. You know, 404 slug against a 214 average. That's not too bad. You know, 190 uh, ISO out of Kirk Neuenheis, of all people. He's the type of guy that's just going to go – he's just all or nothing, and most yeah. of the time it's nothing. Yeah. And But when he connects, he used to be a running back, so he's really strong. I mean, that's the best analysis I can give of Kirk Neuenheis for you. <laughs> Kirk, for you guys in those, like, 25-team leagues, and Kirk Neuenheis is on your bench still. And you're, lo- um, you're, loving, you're loving it. You're like, yeah, man, finally got Kirk Neuenheis up to a 214 average. This is huge. <laughs> so my yeah. team average is out 215. This is awesome. Seven walks. Couple from guys that you would expect. You know, Chris Carter had a had two. Jonathan VR good at good at actually taking walks. You know, Ryan Braun didn't have any. You would you would just assume, I guess, because he's one of the more dangerous hitters in there. That if Jake Arrieta had seven walks, some of them were going to Ryan Braun. Two for Ramon Flores, who was playing oh right field. I don't know who oh Ramon Flores is. Wasn't that a former nope. catcher? It's not. It's not him, right? No, we're thinking of Jesus Flores, who oh, we used yeah. to—he used right. to be our sleeper all the time for our NL only league. That's right. That's right. Ramon Flores is his own person. Uh, debuted last year with the Yankees for twelve uninspiring games. Has played a hundred and three uninspiring games. Tells you how much Milwaukee I'm watching because I, I feel <laughs> like I got a pretty firm handle on on the player pool. This guy's been in a hundred and three games this year, and I literally had no idea who he was. And he walked him, so I guess the scouting report twice wasn't. Twice he walked him. I, I, you afraid, what are you afraid of with Ramon Flores? What is Ramon Flores going to do? How many home runs? How many bombs does he have, Paul? Ramon Flores has two bombs. Paul, his OPS plus this year is 49. <laughs> but you got, I mean, you got to be careful because maybe gotta, this is the time. Yeah, you got to watch out for Ramon Flores, man. You can't just be going up there walking Ramon Flores all willy, or I mean, pitching to Ramon Flores all willy nilly, if you will. Get real. What? Come on. What are you doing, Jake? So, you know what? Maybe it requires a, a, a reinvestigation. But again, this is now, it, it's a spike, the seven today, because he had been at two, one, three, two, one, one, and two over his last uh, seven starts before this. So, I don't know. May, maybe even that is a little bit red flaggish, though, even though those, those whole numbers are not high. We're talking about a guy, Jake Arietta, who used to, you know, he was kind of like zero one all the time. He just, he just didn't walk guys. He had a one point nine walk rate last year. It's up at three point two this year, Paul. Before we add on the seven today that he had in, I think five, uh, five and two thirds. It's, it's kind of crazy, and I, I just, I don't know what's going on. He does have an injury history, and that's why I asked. You know, if, if we think it might be injury, I, I'm probably going to do a reinvestigation over the weekend at some point to see if I can see anything that stands out to me but right now i'm at a bit of a loss and i don't think there's really any action to be done for fantasy owners you certainly can't sit him at any point um i mean if you trade him there's going if you trade him right now it's going to be a low point someone's gonna say oh worst time to trade him him. yeah you want to trade him after seven walks and five earned against milwaukee let me get a discount so you can't trade him so what do you do with jake arietta you just keep playing him right you got to keep playing him and here's some ESPN notes. I like they, – they got, they got a good sample here. The last nine starts would be the way to look at him. Mm-hmm. 453 ERA, 45-24 to 24 strikeout to walk over 55 and two-thirds. So you're not even getting those Ks that you want from him. So that's 
And even though when we look at the numbers, like over those last nine, you're not seeing a lot of blips in the walks. That's still 24 walks over 55 and two thirds is uh, that's that's definitely uncharacteristic. So you still got to you still got to throw him out there because he's still going to give you some good starts. My my concern now is where where does the line become where he's not keepable anymore next year? Because this is a guy that if you had to keep six guys and you lose your first six round picks in those type of weird ESPN leagues, sure. he's very keepable. Absolutely. Like I mean, he, he is a top. You know, now if you have to keep him with the round you got him, where, where were you getting Arietta those third, second, third round? Paul, are you keeping Arietta as a second, third round? Plus, another factor related to the injury. Is he going to stay healthy three years in a row at, at, with the, the third of these being age 31? That's a, that's a great question. And now, definitely not a second, third round keeper anymore. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, you still got to appreciate the 255 ERA. No doubt about that. Oh, you but, know what? To your point, yeah. If, if you just have to keep six and they count for whatever, your six first rounds or whatever, and everyone's keeping six, I guess it doesn't really matter if, if, he's, if he necessarily fits in that second, third. If, people, if everyone just keeps six, no matter, I think he can be a top – Arietta is a top six guy on just about any team unless you just hit on a, tons of, of uh, hidden gems. But this shows why I think the Cubs are really smart by not – because his contract expires next year, right? Next yes. year's his last. Yes. So they're not extending him, and I think it's really smart. You can't extend these pitchers, man. No, there's no upside in it. There's no upside. You know, I understand someone's going to pay him because he's a stud, and, and kind of you get you get paid for what you did. But it's going to be another team. Like if the Cubs do it, you can almost justify it more because okay, they're it's almost back pay for the greatness that he's offered since 2014. Sure, I get that. You know, it's not smart business, though. That's the thing. You never really want to do that. But you kind of get it when a, when a player sticks with their team. But somebody else is probably going to get Jake Arrieta at 32 and pay him for what he did with the Cubs, and he's not going to be anything like that, most likely. I, I'm a little bit nervous about Jake Arrieta going forward just because he's going to be 32, has had injury issues, and pitchers in general are just terrifying to me, Paul. Yeah, pitchers are rip, pitchers are scary on those long term deals. Look what's happening to Granky and I mean the Diamondbacks in general, which is a whole other topic oh of conversation. Which is a whole other beast. Oh my gosh! Lost piece. That was that was really scathing, man. That was and it was, it's on point throughout. Absolutely, and he's down there. That's this team he's very close to in Arizona. I believe he still lives there. Maybe I have that wrong. Either way, I trust the sourcing that he would have to get this information, and it just shows an all-out ineptitude that we that we kind of knew, that we kind of assumed. You know, we, we clown them a lot, uh, the Diamondbacks front office, and it turns out it's with absolutely good reason. Like, everything that they kind of get blasted for is 100% on point. They literally do not know what the hell they're doing there in Arizona. So good luck with that 34 mil per year to Zach Grinke. Paul, let's get into Let, the – oh, go ahead. Yep. No, I was going to say they would be the team that in the offseason – would trade for Jake Arrieta after this kind of year and and be sitting signed to an extension right. and be sitting your shit on their hands, you know, or or or, or at the very least, um, you know, wait the wait the year and then sign him to another. You know, we got to pair him with Jake Arrieta or with uh, Zach Greinke. It's going to be dope. Remember how good they were in 2014 or 2015? I mean, this is going to be the the greatest two combo ever. And that's how Dave Stewart talks, which is weird. You wouldn't expect that voice from his persona. No, you wouldn't, but you, you nailed it. That, that's pretty much – I actually thought 
Dave Stewart was on the podcast for a little bit. I, I, I was wondering how he jumped in so quickly. Yeah, I'm, dude, I'm pretty good at that stuff. I'm just saying. I'm just pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, Paul, let's get into some of the topics that we wanted to talk about or that we did talk about yesterday, but then uh, floated <laughs> away into the internet, uh, never to be heard from again. And, you know, first we want to talk about a guy on a 45-game on-base streak right now, a streak that uh, we as stat nerds can definitely appreciate. Um, not that I'm against hitting streaks. I was really thrilled by Jackie Bradley Jr.'s earlier this year and then Xander Bogarts kind of like right after it. But it is always interesting when you see a guy getting on base. You know, it's not always with the hits. You got to use your walks. Um, you just got to have a good approach up there. And, of course, get lucky, too. Any of, the, any of these streaks involve luck. But Jason Worth been playing well. The thing of it is, usually on a streak like this, or at least when it comes to hitting streaks, they're often paired with, like, really exorbitant, or real gaudy numbers, like a 1,100 OPS or something. Jason Worth's really just been the same guy he's been all year. A little bit better, like a low 800s OPS uh, during the 45 games here, and then seven upper 700s for the year. So he's not really changed his game. He's just kind of been who he is. But the, the reason we wanted to talk about him is that Jason Worth had a couple of interesting statistical comparisons that we kind of wanted to dig into. One a little bit higher than him drafted this year, you know, a, a good bit drafted, higher drafted than him, one of his teammates. And then another was a superstar guy drafted, you know, first round, second round at the latest this year. And he's not been – it's more that he's been performing down as opposed to Jason Worth performing up. So why don't you share those two statistical comparisons with us? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to – you know them already, so I'm not going to have you guess. But I, I want to give the listeners some time to maybe process this for a minute. Absolutely. Um, so home runs, Worth is 16. His mystery player A has 15. Mystery player B has 16. Run scored, Worth has 63. Player A at 67, player B at 61. RBIs, worth is 53. Rendon, oh, well, there we go. There's your player A. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Anthony Rendon is player A, but I'm going to leave player B, if I remember not to say his name is a mystery still. Yeah. He, he has 54 RBIs. Player B is 49. The triple slash for worth is 255, 346, 443. Rendon is like, I mean, right there, 267, 349, 451, a little bit higher in each, but not by much. Mm -hmm. And our mystery player B is the guy that you would most people would have picked in the end of the first round, no doubt second round, 246, 327, 410. Paul, do you remember who that was? I do remember that it was Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon. And that's a guy that Baseball HQ was trying to say, get back on board with him. He had a little bit of a down 2015 because of injuries. And you brought up the question when we were recording yesterday. It got to be injuries again, right? It has to be. It has to be. I cannot I cannot fathom a situation where it, it, he's not nicked up. And again, it's, just, it's something that we dove in on yesterday was, doesn't necessarily mean it's devastating can't play kind of injury and I think that's something that we lose sight of being an actual thing in baseball when we're when we're so fantasy driven is that we're thinking if you're out there you need to be your best self because you're out there when in actuality it's like 
no, man, I'm making X amount of millions. If I can be out there and playing and, and you know, not actively destroying the team, he has not been great, but he's still better than anything they could find in the minors right now. And so McCutcheon's going to play, but he's definitely not a fantasy stud by any stretch of the imagination. Like you said, 17 bones. Those six stolen bases are six for 12, Paul. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. So it, it's it's been bad. I don't really know, you know, that you can make much else of it than injury. But he's going to be 30 next year. He was nicked early last year, came back, ended up having a brilliant season. Um, it was his, it was his, the worst of the most recent four that he'd had, but still a 144 OPS plus. Nothing to really complain about. Something that you hit on yesterday that was the biggest worry point for you was the fact that it only has 47 walks, a 329 OBP. You know, what's, what's going on there? Is that... That's not necessarily outright injury. You don't see that and say that has to be some sort of injury. But I think it's a situation where he has uh, he might be having a nagging injury that is causing a cascading effect. Maybe, you know, maybe he's swinging at pitches that he shouldn't. I, I don't really know. I, I could I could see the injuries playing a role. I just don't know what the direct role would be to cause somebody to start swinging out of the zone a whole bunch and um, you know and that's not the thing. He's not commanding the strike zone on the other side because it's not like he's not walking, but you know what? He's still not striking out a lot. He's striking out at um, his career average is 17, so 18%. He's at 24%. Uh, his walk rate is a career about 12%. He's at about 10%. Which isn't bad year, in general. He's at 14%. Yeah, but what? exactly. Relative to where, he's, where he'd been in 13% the year before for McCutcheon. Relative to where he's been, this is a sharp change. And again, I just, you know, there could be other factors, but I feel like nagging injuries are part of it. And in, in these auction leagues now, he's the type of guy that you're going to – I comped him to Curtis Granderson maybe, his drop. I think a better drop that you can get him for the same value, and I would definitely take him over this guy at this point. Um, still, I, I still like the potential upside. Is a Matt Holiday. I see him falling in that range. You would take dollars. Holiday over McCutcheon? No, no. I take oh. I take McCutcheon over. I take the upside of McCutcheon. I, I think Holiday. You kind of know what you're going to get from him. I, yeah, I think we could still see another great year out of McCutcheon at some point. It might not be even next year. It could be the year after. Just I, I don't think we're done seeing exemplary years. But he could be coming back. You know, another guy that he could maybe be looking like. Um, is Evan Longoria, you know, because Evan Longoria has never really been bad. Uh, maybe, you know, Evan Longoria, I guess, didn't necessarily reach the heights that uh, that McCutcheon did, but I'm talking more about the, the kind of decline phase into your late 20s, early 30s. And, you know, Longoria was pretty pretty modest in 2014 with a 107 OPS plus, jumped it back up a little bit last year, 112, then spiked this year. So, again, you can have that spike in your 30s. I think we'll see at least one more McCutcheon spike, but he might just end up being one of those guys who's good, not great. You know, that's a really I, I like that comp a lot because they both lost. You know, in 2013, um, Longoria was dealing with a 10% walk rate. All of a sudden, 2014, that dropped to eight point to 8%. It's continued to drop. But he's found another skill set with the power. Like he's turned the power on. Yeah, he's got that so old man power. Yeah, kind of like what Pools has done. I mean, I'm not comparing these guys to Pools. Pools is another animal in itself. But you see these players when they age and they start seeing, you know what? I'm not working counts the same way. I'm not getting around the certain pitches. You know what? I'm going to sell out a little more and I'm going to get some serious power that 
is comparable to what I used to do, but overall is not the same. Absolutely. I mean, same profile. I, I think that they, they're going to have to adjust, and we're, we're seeing just a different version right now of, of Andrew McCutcheon. What, what round do you think you're, you're looking at him next year right now? Let's just say he kind of goes on, does the similar thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's a little bit better in September and kind of ends with like a, a 103 OPS plus where he's just like a little bit better than average for McCutcheon. What round do you think you'd be taking him next year? Ballparking, you know, I, not easy to pin you down on that right now without analyzing things, but where do you think he's going after being a first, second round guy this year? Do you think sixth and seventh is still too ambitious? I can actually still see him maybe going. Now, here's the thing. when you, Once we get further removed from some of these seasons, sometimes the guys kind of get picked back up just by, okay, you know who I'm looking for is a bounce back. This is a one-time superstar. I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that happened with McCutcheon where he ended up being a, a hype sort of a sleeper type next year, sleeper being relative. And maybe he's going 6-7 initially, and then people say, oh, 6-7 is too late. Bunch of hype builds up, and he winds up being more of a fourth, fifth guy. Kind of depends how all the numbers shake out there, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think I would be comfortable taking that that risk on Andrew McCutcheon in the sixth or seventh, if that's what it ended up being. Because his, his counting stats outside of the runs and RBIs are not far off where they were last year. He's only six away from his home, his home run total, five away from the stolen base total. Yeah, the runs and RBIs are a little bit lower than – you, you liked. He was at 91, 96 runs in RBIs last year. Don't think he's going to reach those this year. But he's still going to be in a good lineup next year, so those can always come back for him. But I think the, the key, key skill that he's lost that you want is that either the batting average or the on-base. you got you got to get those back up to really get that value where it used to be. Absolutely. So, you know, we're we going to keep an eye on McCutcheon. He's going to be an interesting guy. You know, are they going to re-sign him to another deal, you think, Paul? Um, heard rumblings that you know, this is kind of it they got the best of him can they be a team that can afford to kind of invest in their franchise guy or or you know with the with the way they've got Marte and Polanco coming up let one of them be I, the franchise guy I, I don't think they're going to resign him I think now you're hearing talks of they're moving Josh Bell to the outfield in the minors um I think they're kind of seeing the end of McCutch coming soon and Marte's not not young by the way he's not old but he's 27 so he he's right in his prime to be kind of that franchise guy if McCutcheon you know is done after next year Yeah yeah I think they're setting that up um and then Bell will come in kind of like Polanco did and they they have a nice streamline in their outfield I think they'll give you know McCutch's next year but if they're in some sort of race and Bell's Bell's raking don't be surprised if, if McCutch continues this. They find they, they do some interesting things in their outfield. I don't know what, but they do something interesting out there. Do you think – what would you maybe put the chances on of them trading Andrew McCutch in this offseason? Because he does have next year and then a $14.5 million team option for 2018, which you know doesn't feel bad right now. I feel like you could, you could get a team kind of psyched on that, thinking that that's going to be a good deal just because you know when you look at the – six, seven, eight win seasons that he was putting together in a, in a raw dollar value that easily eclipses 14 and a half mil by this year, unless he really surges from a dollars per war standpoint, which I don't love as, as a comparison, but just to kind of shorthand it, he'll probably wind up around 10, 10 mil, um, value based on our calculation. So that's under what he made this year. And of course, under the 14 and a half mil, but could you see a trade of, of Andrew McCutcheon? 
could. I mean, that's a great. It's a great question. The team I thought of right away when you start thinking trade, I'm thinking, well, Carlos Gomez is off the books next year. Does he go to Houston? They have the they have the firepower to make a move for him. They certainly do. They would want to be careful to make another. Yeah. Although here's the thing, they're not. You know why? Because they're looking beyond Giles is April. And he's been amazing since May. So I don't know that they consider that trade the overwhelming loss that it was tabbed to be uh, early in the season. And I understand why, because he was pitching terribly. Vincent Velasquez was pitching brilliantly. Um, and there were other pieces with, with Velasquez, too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to kind of see how McCutcheon goes now, though, because, you know, one of the best superstars ever – uh, in the past few years, one of the best superstars, not one of the best superstars ever necessarily. Sorry, Kutch. Um, I meant to say within the past few years, took took a big tumble this year. How's that going to damage his fantasy value? It's going gonna, it's gonna to push it down, but is it going to push it down so much that he's going to end up being a great sleeper? Or is it just going to be kind of like, eh, this is where he belongs? We'll see on that. We'll probably talk about him in the offseason. One, pl- one other place that actually would make sense for him um, is New York. Which they one? don't have a right-handed out the Mets. They don't have a right-handed um, – because they're losing Cespedes next year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For those that don't he's know, Paul is out. a Mets he's fan, by the way. Seri- yeah, he, he's, he's going to make some serious money. They don't really have a center fielder because they haven't really used Nimmo in center. They don't have a right-handed center fielder. Um, they have they have money. That's just a, that's a possibility. I don't know if, they, if they're willing to part with guns, the guns that you need to get a guy like him. Because the thing that Pittsburgh is going to sell – themselves on is he's the cornerstone of our franchise he's the face of our franchise he sells seats you know there's going to be all that talk that um and potentially two years of him and you know they they could pitch him to to the mets as a cespedes alternative cespedes going to be out there trying to get 20 something mil and you know he's going to be making 14 and a half for the next two years which by comparison looks like a bargain you should take him from us so that that is interesting. We we'll see if that if that comes to fruition. That would be that would be something else, man. Would you, how would you feel about that as a diehard Mets fan? I would initially be excited. It's all about what you give up for it, though. It's all about the package you give up. I'm a little concerned with the his defensive metrics. They've kind of fluctuated from year to year, mm-hmm. which they tend to do with most players. Um, if the on-base skills were there, I'm, I'm there in a heartbeat. Even if the power's gone, even if the speed's gone, if the on-base skills are there, boom, there's our leadoff hitter. You know, I don't want Jose Reyes leading off. I, I, the excitement, whatever. I want, I want McCutcheon with his on-base skills. That's the guy. But if those on-base skills are gone, then I don't know where you really fits in your lineup. If his defense – I mean, it's a bigger ballpark in New York, so is he going to fit well defensively with – kind of guys like Bruce and I'm imagining Conforto is going to be in left field next year mm-hmm. next to him. That's that, that might be a little bit of a tough outfield defensively, at least. It'd be interesting to see how it goes. It's a tough outfield defensively right now. So yeah, I feel like the Mets, yeah, absolutely. The Mets. Oh, Granderson. Use. How did I forget Granderson? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, he's not going anywhere right now. Although you know, maybe they maybe they maybe they work some moves. We'll see. The Mets offseason should be pretty fascinating because they're definitely losing Cespedes. I just can't see the any way that they don't. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He used to play in Oakland. That's called the segue. You know who plays in Oakland now? Chris Davis. And he's the better Chris Davis right now. I'm not saying Chris with with a K. It's Chris with a C now. That's how you you identify the the letter. You identify the worst one, and right now you say, you got to say Chris with a C if you're talking about the worst Chris Davis because even though 
he hit two bombs today. I, I'm just saying, Paul. I understand. I understand. But what 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 did he do? Pick up his average to freaking like two oh eight or something? Let me see where where it is. I'll give him his full credit. Two twenty two. Okay. Two bombs today. He's up to uh twenty seven. He's definitely raking, but he did he hit two out today and he's still not near Chris with a K Davis. I just said I wasn't gonna do that. Oakland Chris Davis, because Oakland Chris Davis, doesn't he have thirty? He has thirty. He has thirty Which right now. Which is awesome. Now, um, jog my memory. Did we have some statistical comparisons for him as well? We had one that you nailed. Oh right yeah, I, that you nailed right when I went to the home runs. I just named the home run. Oh. Okay, so this guy, so Chris Chris Davis in Oakland has 30, 30 bombs. The guy who we're comping him with has twenty seven bombs. God. Then you got it. So don't give it away this time, and I'm not going to give it away. Okay. Yeah. Don't 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 say it. Um. Oakland's Chris Davis has 58 runs. This guy is 64. Oakland's Chris Davis is 75. This guy is 76. Ribbies. Triple slash. 254, 292, 514. Our mystery player, 243, 292, 518. Crazy in line with each other. Mm-hmm. So, Paul, who is this mystery player? Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall. And imagine now. If Chris Davis was playing in Cincinnati, Ooh. what those power numbers would look like. That'd be filth. Holy gosh. That'd be absolute filth. Filth, dude. So, and, and the reason we initially brought Worth, it was kind of, we were talking about Worth um, and Davis, is I'm in a league where I got to cut one of these guys when Cespedes comes back. And, you know, to me, Chris, Chris Davis is not a guy... I want to keep necessarily I, – I, I just – it's a perception thing. But I'm looking at these numbers and the power numbers, and it, it got to be Worth. It, worth got to be the guy to go with Chris Davis's power numbers at 30, so. home, 30 bombs. My gosh. In Oakland? That's Are the you thing. Kidding me? And here's the thing. He had, he, had, he had play anywhere sort of power, which is why Colette and I were not terribly concerned that he was moving from Milwaukee to Oakland. Sure, you love having a guy in Oakland or in Milwaukee because that park is definitely favorable to power. Chris Davis, despite not being a huge dude like the other Chris Davis, uh, just gets generates tons of power. It's really impressive to me how Chris Davis consistently can generate that power from an otherwise not particularly huge frame. Does it in Oakland? Oakland kind of a sneaky, okay park if you're a fly ball hitter. If you if you get the ball up and you can drive it out. It's not going to necessarily stifle you. It's not going to give you homers. You're not really having any spot there that you can hit it to, any field that you hit it to that's really amplifying your home run total. But it's not automatically going to rob you of home runs either. And I think that's an interesting part about uh, the O.Co. Coliseum. So, you know, he is comparing favorably right now to Adam Duvall. Adam Duvall obviously cost even a lot less. So that almost speaks speaks well of Adam Duvall uh, more than anything about Chris Davis. But Chris Davis was also cheap this year. He was seen as a cheap power option. He's been that and more. Um, going into his age 29 season next year, he should still be with Oakland unless they, they trade him for some reason, which he's so cheap that I just don't know how they could. Even with these 30 bombs, he'll probably end up with like 36, 37. I still can't even imagine that he would make too much more over a million considering that he's making 524,000 this year. But... What do you think out of Chris Davis next year? Like, how much are you moving him up in in drafts? Well, the one thing I'm he's not moving up so so high just because 
home runs are not at a premium as much as they used to be. Absolutely. You can find home runs in a lot of places. But the potential of him and, and getting comfortable, the potential of him always hitting those over, hitting over 40. Now, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of guys hitting 40, home, 40 balls. So now that, that puts him in a different category. But you still got to c- consider the low OBP, the low batting average. Um, he's the type of guy that we, we were mentioning earlier you got to pair with. You got to pair him with a high OBP stolen base guy or just a high OBP guy. Or you get the trifecta, right? You get like a Joey Votto in the first round. And then later on, you get Hannah Billy Hamilton. That gets your counting stats and you get, it covers your OBP or batting average, whatever type of league you're in. That's a nice trifecta of players to get. That I don't think you have to spend all the top three rounds, obviously, to get them. Of you course. can spend your first round and wait a little bit later for the other two. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that, that was a topic that we really got into yesterday, talking about pairing players and really putting those puzzle pieces together. And it might sound simple and obvious, like, oh, yeah, of course I do that. Maybe some of you do. I don't necessarily. So I do think that sometimes when I step back and kind of think about doing that, it's like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. I'll do it every once in a while, but almost make a whole team where you're kind of put, putting these guys off in pairs you know, you can get Votto to cover the OBP if you're in an OBP league. Then you can get Chris Davis and Billy Hamilton. They're giving you the elite power and speed. You're still getting good power from Votto, uh, but you don't need as much if you're going to get a Chris Davis to back him up. You know, you get a handful of steals from him as well. Obviously, nothing to really move the needle. That's where you get Billy Hamilton. There are other players that do these kind of one-off things. I know Rajay Davis has been a bit of a combo player this year, the way he's hitting uh, some power, especially for relative to what he normally does. But generally, he's that guaranteed speed guy even if he doesn't play a ton you're almost you're almost guaranteed 30 bags out of Rajay Davis he's already got 33 this year I say almost guaranteed because he did only have 18 last year we have to we have to acknowledge that uh but 36 45 46 34 50 41 uh the six years before that or excuse me that's five years no that, that was six I had it right the first time the six years before that his 33 lead the American League this year Rajay Davis so yeah you get these specialists you piece them together with, with and to, to highlight the strengths of your early round picks, which are going to be more um, all around, you know, kind of base setters. You're setting your base of, of numbers with them and then and then go for specific specialists. Chris throw Chris Chris Carter in there and then you get Chris Davis, Chris Carter, Billy Hamilton and Rajay Davis or something like that. Would you consider so like outside of your first maybe four rounds where you're just kind of trying to get all around guys, maybe the rest of your offense should be specialist players, Paul. You think that's a strategy that could actually work? I think it can. One, the one year I did really well in our NL only, I I actually before the year averaged out a bunch of projections and kind of combined stats and went right after those stats to kind of hit some milestone points, like points that I know that all right, this is typically what gets me third place in home runs. This is what typically gets me third place in RBIs. So I had a list of guys, and I kept plugging them into my projection system. And I said, okay, you know what I need now? I got my home runs. I've already hit third in home runs, and I still have three players left. Now I'm just going after those specialty uh, stolen bases. And I didn't account for on-base percentage in that league or batting average, whatever we were using that year, because it was too hard to predict. On, a, on that type of level, what of course. my OVP was going to be. Because then you have to account for how many at-bats you're getting, how much playing time. You can't just take a 360 OBP and a 300 OBP and divide it by two. They both come at, at different rates. So you can't do that necessarily. 
But with the counting stats, I did that with it. And I actually had one of my best years doing that. I don't know why I haven't gone back to it. I guess life hit me differently. But it's something that I'm considering doing this year again. Yeah, I, th- I, I think I'm going to consider it a little bit more. You know, I play obviously way too many leagues, but I, it affords me the chance to kind of try different strategies within different leagues. Maybe I will do one where I really focus on, again, maybe three to four rounds of kind of all best available or whatever. You set your base and then go from there and just really focus on specialists. This guy's going to get me this. This guy's going to get me that. You know, average, it's difficult to have an average specialist because batting average can be so variant. But, you know, there are some guys that do stand out where you can feel comfortable that you're going to get a certain amount uh, you know, of hits or, or a certain level of quality batting average. Um, although, you know, I think of somebody like that, Somebody I would would have said is kind of like that is like a Joe Panic hit 305 and 312 in his first two seasons. He's hitting 243 this year, so you really never know. That's why maybe it's better in a uh, OBP league, which isn't quite as volatile. Obviously, your batting average can fluctuate and make your OBP do it as well. But a lot of times, the good OBP guys have great walk rates, and that's what sustains their OBP. So I don't know, Paul. Maybe maybe we'll both be doing it in one league at the same time, and we'll see who gets to the better specialists first. And then we'll end up doing what we normally do and run up the bids on each other. Yes. And then we end up having really bad teams. Canceling each other. Yeah. Hurting each other to the point where as we're fighting, focused in on our own little back and forth battle, everyone's just passing us. And then we're sixth and seventh. And we're like, man, remember that draft where we just battled each other? How do we do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was seventh. We spent $60 on Travis Sankowski. Yeah. Why, why, did, why did we do that? I, at least I didn't leave any money on the table. It was a pretty good year. Pretty good year. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good season. You know who's not going to have a pretty good rest of the season? Aaron Nola. He's toast. He's done. We knew he was hurt. We, you know, it's not. this is not shocking news. But right now he was just on the disabled list with kind of an open, you know, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen. Um, and now they've officially said, okay, season's done. Thing of it is, though, we're talking about a flexor strain and a UCL sprain. These are factors, Paul, that often are, are precursors to Tommy John. Doesn't mean it's guaranteed. But a lot of times they are, you know, could end up being Tanaka situation where we're kind of always waiting. We have that anvil hanging over our head by a rope that is fraying as we are Wiley Coyote in this instance, apparently. And we're just waiting for that anvil to drop. That is uh, Tommy John for Tanaka. But it hasn't happened. For some reason, the Roadrunner has given us a stay of execution and he's been great for two years. I mean, not quite peak Tanaka this year, but it's hard to complain because there was even a little bit of a discount built in. and He's had a great season. Other times, though, we see it with guys. They go out. You know, I think Homer Bailey's was pr- pretty cut and dried. Where it's like, oh, got a flexor strain. Boom, Tommy John. Um, so we see it often go this way. Has me concerned. But apart from the injury situation, let's try to divorce the two right now a little bit. I understand that you're going to be worried about it for Nola. But apart from that, how do you view his skills? Like, uh, if, if we got a clean bill of health next year, what would be your outlook on an Aaron Nola? I'm putting him in the same category as my Drew Smiley's, Ooh, as my yeah. Michael Pineda's, Colin McHugh's. Those guys are all in that same area where I'm getting them middle of the middle of the draft, but I'm not I'm not sweating them. I'm not saying, you know what? I gotta get Aaron Nola. I gotta get Smiley. It's I'll get one of these four guys. And whoever falls to me there, I'll take them and I'll and I'll hope for the upside to come because what you know, you know that there, there's a lot of upside to them. Maybe not McHugh as much, but you know that if they get it all together, there's some serious dominance. And especially Aaron Nola, we were, you know, the 308 FIP with a 478 ERA, it, it got to come back down. You imagine if he's healthy, 
it should come back to down to earth in a very nice manner. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really should. We'll see. Kind of see how it goes. By the way, we got a little bit of breaking news. Jason Worth has reached base. Forty-six games. He reached base. I was gonna. We also had other breaking news, Paul. Uh oh. But I didn't know if it was worth the. Um, Justin Ruggiano got a hit. He's um he he's playing today. Oh, of course it is. What are you talking about? That's probably worth more than than mine. I Justin Ruggiano, just... what's up? Back in the league, dude, playing again. This is crazy world. Who's playing him? Who's letting him play? Oh, what other team would be playing him but the Mets? Right I was going to say it got to be the Mets then. Okay. Yep. Yeah, he's back, and yep. I don't know why he's back, but there's a lefty on the mound, and oh, Yeah. At least I it's against the lefty. At least they're not messing around trying to let him hit against righties. That's never really been his thing. No, no, that would be, that would be disastrous on so many levels. But, yeah, he got hurt in, like, his second game, I think. Playing with the Mets. That's that's brutal. Well, brutal. Good luck to Justin Ruggiano. Maybe he can fake center field a little bit. So Worth is up to forty six now. Forty six games consecutive, getting on base, just being a solid contributor for them. He's just still a good player at age thirty seven. It's pretty impressive stuff, especially for all the injuries that he's had to fight through. So, all right, let's talk two awards and not so much who's going to win them, but kind of using them as a jump-off point to talk about some of these players and how their outlooks are going to change for next year. Uh, let's start with the NL MVP. I think it's kind of a wide-open field, although just in the, in the span of one day, things have changed to the point where the first guy that we're going to talk about, I mean, it was it was like a signature game. I don't think it completely gives him the, the award. Chris Bryant is definitely up there right now looking at the, the war for, for Fangraphs right now. He's up there, essentially tied. Actually, after yesterday's games, which we were recording during, he was, he's actually dead tied at 5.9 war each, Chris Bryant and Corey Seager. Then you got Daniel Murphy at 4.6. Brandon Crawford's up there because of defense, not even really addressing that. And then Anthony Rizzo, Will Myers, Justin Turner, and Freddie Freeman at 4.1. The fact of it is, I don't really think Rizzo's a huge candidate. So even though he's, he's tied with those guys, they're not candidates either. I, I, the, the situation is, I really think it comes down to Bryant, Seager, and Murphy. Bryant had a massive game today. Again, not flipping the script or, or, or tipping the scales and giving him the award. But is he a lockdown top five first rounder next year, Chris Bryant? Yes. I don't think – now top three, maybe. Definitely top five. He has to be in your top five. Uh yeah, I'm putting him in my top five. I mean, the only guys I'm putting definitively ahead of him are Trout, Trout. and Altuve. Okay, so you you could maybe mess with him top three, but you, there's probably going to be guys who who maybe uh, who emerge there for you. I think he will be taken top three multiple different times after Trout and Altuve. Maybe I not don't by know, though, because you know, th- I mean, Donaldson still still a beat. You know, it depends yeah. on. Who's picking ahead? It's kind of a crapshoot at that point, right? Because no, yeah, that's I'm what I mean. Very no. pleased with Brian Donaldson or Machado and Arenado, even at that point. Absolutely, I know? think there are candidates, and that's why I think just being one of those candidates means you're going to be picked there at certain points. By my, there's just going to be some people that want to take him that high. I don't know that. I, you know, it is that third base extravaganza because you're looking at, like you said, Arenado, Machado, and Bryant. All three of them total superstars, and all three of them should stay in the first round. Now, does Machado stay in the first round for you despite losing those steals? Does he have shortstop eligibility? He probably will. So, I think he played enough I, while uh, 
while J.J. Hardy was out. So what if – and I guess even shortstops aren't what they used to be where you're really looking like, I need a shortstop, you know. Exactly. So There's shortstops. But that definitely that definitely helps give I like Machado because I like that flexibility. I love now. flexibility. I, I I agree with you there. And I honestly don't think that he needs the stolen bases to necessarily stay in the first round. Now maybe we're pushing back end now because you I mean he's gone from twenty to zero. It's not like he went from twenty to seven. I mean he's got he's got a zero right now. But eighty one runs scored, twenty six bombs, sixty nine ribs, three oh three average. I mean the dude plays all the time. He does have forty five games at shortstop, so he's shortstop third base. Even if you don't necessarily need him to be shortstop because you can get some of those other guys uh, in, the, in the couple rounds after that, there's kind of a shortstop renaissance right now. Like you said, I still love having it because then if there's it, – it's just better to have flexibility in season because then when a certain free agent comes out, you, you can maybe maneuver your lineup a little bit more to, to fit him in. There's nothing worse than when someone comes out, you know, emerges as the, the automatic go-to guy for a fab bid, and you can't fit him anywhere. You're like, I, I have nowhere to put this guy. And even in the draft, even in the yeah. draft, I love that flexibility because now I'm not stuck with – even shortstop in third is so great because it's like, do I put him at corner or do I put him in the middle? Yeah, you got and four say another spots. guy drops – now you got another option available. Say a big shortstop drops, you're not like, oh, I can't really fit him in. Now I'm really overloaded. It's like, you know what? I'll just move Machado to third, and then I'll pick up my middle and vice versa. Yeah, so I I, I love that. Um, we kind of veered over to the American League. They're talking about NL MVP. But Bryant, I agree, definite top five, potential top three sort of guy. And Paul, he and Corey Seager both being up there. Now, Corey Seager is a guy who doesn't quite do – as much fantasy wise as Bryant, you know, you look at the two together. I think this is before the amazing day today, by the way. I don't know if this is completely updated to this. They don't second. update. I don't think Fangraphs oh, updates Z stats until the day's over. If you do the drop down on split and do live season full or live stats full season, that's how you do it. Because now I'm looking, wow, that gave him, he got half of a war to uh, half a win today. Today's no game way. moved him from 5-9 to 6-4 for Chris Bryant. That's bananas, Holy Paul. Cow. That's bananas. That's so absolutely insane. He's got, that's, in, that's insane. He's got like a little bit of a separation now, a half-win separation. That's still not enough to say he's definitive, uh, you know, definitively the MVP, but it's enough to start making an argument to say, okay, we're, we're putting a little bit of separation here. So he's got 30 bombs, 96 runs. That's such a huge factor. 78 ribbies. Those counting categories are where he really, in fantasy, separates himself from Corey Seager and, and really the rest of the pack in general. Also has eight stolen bases to just one for Seager. So Seager might be a first-rounder. I'll ask you that if you think he's a first-rounder. But if he is, he has to be late first round, right? Late first round, and I'm still – I'm still not mad about someone taking a Correa over him. I agree. I think that they're the pretty upside comparable. of all the mixture of stats and you know no, performance isn't consistent year to year. So if you're you're banking on your Correa guy and you think he's gonna even tear him up next year, go ahead, go for it. Um, yeah, I, I, he's an end of the second. He's the end of the first round, especially with the depth at shortstop and. And even those numbers, a lot of those numbers are coming from a defensive standpoint. Also, the WAR. Yeah, he the gets, offense is great. There's no doubt. But he gets a big a boost lot of compared to Bryant. He's getting a big boost by that. So for fantasy, unless you're in a, a set and forget it WAR league, which I know all of you are in right now, <laughs> you are. I, I'm in one, which I have no idea where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. I have Brandon Crawford on that team. Though. That's good. 
because he, he's that's really good. Yeah, I mentioned he's up there. He's actually third in the National League right now at four point six, and it is defensive Above base. Murphy. What's that? Above Daniel Murphy, who's another guy that is going to have because that well, I need I to know what you're going to do with him, Paul. I, I got to know, like Seager. Okay, late first rounder. I would definitely take Correa. I, I won't even say maybe. I would definitely take Correa ahead of him. But I like Seager. I can get behind late first round. Daniel Murphy, Paul. You are a diehard Mets fan. You kind of saw this start, start the transition start last year before the playoffs. It didn't really catch everybody's attention until the playoffs. For obvious reasons, it was the biggest stage. It was a big home run streak. But he really started to turn the corner uh, late last season after working with Kevin Long. And there are actual swing changes behind this this emergence of Daniel Murphy. Now he's gone on to have just a total beast season. He's going to be 32 next year. But is he somebody that you can get into the second, third round? Or like wh- where, do you, where do you even think he's going to be drafted next year? I think he, because of the, the second base eligibility... There's going to be some crazy guys going in the first round for him. End of first Whoa, round. That would be, defi- be nuts. It's nuts. But definitely second, third round, mm-hmm. um, I definitely see people going for him. Those numbers are re- – they're really strong. The 22, 22 bombs, 87 ribbies, and if he continues to have Harper batting in front of him, that's a great guy to keep – you know, get on base before you and drive in. He's got 87 that, ribbies, man. That's that, – that lead uh, – that's – Second in the National League behind Nolan Arenado, which, by the way, we talk about Nolan Arenado on the fantasy landscape. You know, he doesn't really run, uh, but he has 30, 30 bones as well. His counting categories always stay fat because of Coors, and that's why I'm still eyeing Nolan Arenado as a top five pick. Ian, uh, Eno and I did this exercise a while ago, and we had like 42 guys in the top five. It's so hard to really <laughs> narrow it down, and, and you know, because every time we bring up another guy, oh, yeah, yeah, he's top five. Uh, guys, you put 14 dudes there before you even started to get to the rest of the list. I don't even think we included Josh Donaldson. It was crazy. There's a big influx of talent right now, whereas earlier, you know, this year's draft season, it felt like there was kind of those first four, and then it was just a cluster of guys you didn't really feel great about taking at six, seven, but but if you could gotten them at 14, you'd feel great. Now, there, I think there's like, I don't know, I, I kind of look at it like there's 10 guys I would take with the top three picks or top five, I feel really comfortable drafting at the back end of a first round, at least at this point right now. That sounds kind of like how we were treating pitchers coming into the year. Absolutely. We overdid that. Jeez. We we being the fantasy baseball community, I don't think anyone is skating on that. I, maybe there's an individual here and there uh, you know, that wrote up and said, I'm still not going for uh, starters. I, you know, I can't do it or whatever. But by and large, everybody was in on it here thinking, hey – they're finally stable. We can we can really draft them with confidence. Let's take them in the second, third round. Got to get that ace. Gotta man, get that it's ace. been brutal, Paul. Brutal. That specific group really failed as a whole. Yeah, no, that was a – sorry, I just – I don't know if you heard that vibration. No problem. Um, yeah, no, that's – it's been a brutal group. It's been – I mean – Unless you got a, unless you got a bum garner. Yeah, they're, they're, some worked, but if you add them up together, it it no. just it did not come. It just did not work out uh, at all. When you talk about like Chris Archer, um, Dallas Keuchel, even Carlos Carrasco, you know he's not been bad at all, but he got hurt again. He has not been that kind of transcendent guy. Garrett Cole, David Price, mm, I already mentioned Matt Harvey. Even Chris Sale has been a little bit underwhelming for for the expectations that were there. Uh, Felix, Sonny Gray, 
brutal. Ooh, Sonny Gray was that was a huge keeper for a lot of people. Tyson Ross was 25th pitcher off the board in NFBC leagues. Has not pitched. Has not thrown a single. I mean, that's injury. Uh, all these other ones are. These guys are performing and they're performing. Poor. Is that Granky? So yeah, that that group as a whole was just generally. You know, he was 12th on the WAR list of all pitchers. Who? Your boy Tanaka, who you were just talking about. See, it's just like quietly having a really good season. Yeah. That, that, that's very interesting to me. I never would have – you come in before the year and tell me Tanaka's going to be a top 15 pitcher. Someone that you actually offered him for me, which this would have been a great trade for both teams in our AL only, you offered me Kinsler for him. Yeah. And we – I guess I got cold feet at some point, but it would have been a brutal trade on either end. Would have worked out very nice for both of us. Yeah, but both guys like that. That's one of those challenge trades that, by the end of it, you're like, oh, hey, I like, I like where that where that turned out. Um, yeah. So yeah, we look at those two guys. We look at those three guys at the top: Bryant, Seager, Murphy. I could see it. I could see somebody taking some Murphys in the first round. I can't personally do it. I do believe in what we're seeing. There is just risk though, and you know, he has not been some like crazy Iron Man. He doesn't get hurt a whole bunch. Games played since 2012, 156, 161. Those are both great. 143, 130. He's got 112 so far this year. So certainly not like an injury-prone guy, but he's going to be 32. And once you get in your 30s, it just the body can start breaking down much more rapidly. But it's a little misleading, those games played, because he pinch-hit in a bunch of games because he was hurt. Ah, so he was not quite DL-worthy, but... Had to no, come but in late he and, was, just and he actually came in and hit hit some bones in those games, like ninth inning heroics and stuff. But he wasn't healthy enough to play a whole whole game. I, I don't think it was, again. It's not significant. I think your point is really valid. I think it was only maybe about five or six games, but there was a little ding. He got a little dinged up this year. He was dinged up last year. Nothing to be super concerned with, but he's getting old. Yeah, you just gotta he's be careful. With Murphy. Pick, I'm not picking him second, third round. I'm not treating him as a thirty, forty dollar player. Let someone else deal with that. I probably won't I'll try to get my stolen bases, you know, at second base, or I'll try to get someone. De- I'll still go for a walker really cheap. I'll still go for a – maybe I'll try to get a – I don't know. Jose Ramirez, I imagine, will be eligible at second base, right? I think so, oh, I yeah. They've, they've shifted him around so much, but I'll definitely be interested in Jose Ramirez next year. There were some folks out there who were really banging the drum for him this year. And I, I, I jumped off after kind of being on, on the Jose Ramirez train a little bit last year. And I was, of course, a year early. That's so weird. That never happens. And <laughs> I said, you know what? Uh, I, I kind of moved on a little bit. I, I just wasn't that interested. He's having a really good year this year, fantasy-wise, especially eight bombs, 20 stolen bases, 310 batting average, playing for that Cleveland team all over the place. I'm looking right now. He will not have second eligibility unless he really ramps up some second base playing time because he's only got nine games there right now. Five at short, but third base and outfield is where he'll play 75 and 48 respectively for Jose Ramirez. So he'll, he'll be an interesting play. You know, Dustin Pedroia will still be cheap. Ian Kinsler, I, I don't see his price really rising. But for me, it goes back to teammate Anthony Rendon, who we discussed earlier. Between the two, I would rather just wait the four rounds uh, maybe not that. Maybe he's more of a fifth-round pick. I don't know. Anthony Rendon doesn't have as much juice in the market as he used to, but I, I'll probably just wait for him. And you won't him. get second. He won't have second? Oh, that's a good point. He's played third. Yeah, he'll only be third, which changes. That was so nice about him this year was he had the second and the third, that flexibility. Absolutely. Uh, next year, you're only going to have third base with him. That's it. Uh, okay. Well, we'll see. I, I feel like you and I will be talking a lot more Daniel Murphy yeah. draft spot as, as the, uh, the winter wears on. Yep, I agree. All right, Paul, so that wraps us up on the, the NL MVP. Some really interesting guys there. 
kind of eager to see how it plays out the rest of the way. Although if Chris Bryant keeps having games like he did on Thursday afternoon, it's not going to be much of a race. Let's close up with one uh, Twitter question here. And I forgot to take down who it's from, so I'm terrible. But, hey, at least your question's getting on here. He wanted to, us to dive in on some catchers and uh, rank rank a handful of young and old guys behind the dish, like Gary Sanchez, Wilson Contreras, Brian McCann, Cameron Rupp, and Russell Martin. He asks, are you putting Sanchez at the top? So I, I imagine this is for the rest of the season sort of situation. So how do you feel about those catchers? It's been so bad this year that to, to have kind of uh, some life breathe into the position – by Sanchez and Contreras and even Rupp, who's not necessarily super young, but had definitely come on this year, has been very helpful because the position's been lacking. So who's your favorite of the group? Contreras. I like Contreras a lot. I like the fact that he has that outfield. And I know that if you have a guy who can catch, you don't typically want to put him in the outfield in your fantasy lineups. That's a pretty detrimental move. Yeah. But I like what he's done so far. But it, um, it is like- a positive, a non-catching catcher, is a positive overall, though. That's why Kyle Schwarber was so sought after this year was because we get the eligibility, but we don't have to worry about the the dangers of the outfield. Now he got hurt, in, or the dangers of catching. He got hurt in the outfield, but I don't think it was because he didn't know what he was doing. No, I, I think that was a freak injury or just a big guy in the outfield. Yeah. And I also think something with Contreras I like, uh, or something I like to see with these guys in the outfield is they don't have to think behind the plate. And that's where these guys, I think, get stuck developmentally is when they have to really start game planning and they have to go up and get a hitting game plan. That's just a lot of information to process. And there's only a, few, a select few that are able to do both very, very well. I, I completely agree there, Paul. I mean, we have kind of a standing policy, both of us, that we hate young catchers. We don't take prospect catchers. And sure, you know, sometimes you're going to miss out on a Gary Sanchez or Wilson Contreras, but, you know, Wilson Contreras, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he rose quickly from prospectum. You know, he was a prospect late last year. I think he started to kind of come on, and then this year he was seen as a prospect. So he really didn't have to wait. He's already clicked. And then Gary Sanchez actually took a while, so he kind of goes as a point in our favor. There are people drafting him three, four years ago in leagues, which is crazy because he is only 23 years old, but he was first popping up on prospect lists in 2011, Paul, and Gary Sanchez is just now uh, getting to the majors and clicking in the second half of 2016. Yes, and there's two guys that have heard their names being thrown out as comps for him, not through my date or anything like that, but two guys who have batted pretty similarly in certain regards to him. One of them is the infamous... Jesus Montero. Oh, boy. And the other one is Mike Jacobs, who also had three home Ooh. runs in his first few games, kind of in the similar fashion that Gary Sanchez did. I guess the main point of saying those names are just be careful with young catching or just young prospects in general who get hot right away. Especially, at least Contreras, I could say. I like that he walks and shows some command of the strike zone. Sanchez doesn't walk, and if they figure him out, um, that could be that could be some serious trouble. But for the rest of the year, I'm still taking him over McCann. I'm taking him over Rupp, and I'm taking him over Martin. But I have Contreras over. I have Contreras tops out of this list of guys. I think that's fair. Um, I'm gonna stick to what I did yesterday, though. I haven't flipped. I go Sanchez Contreras. But I think your points uh, are, are are well stated, especially the one that I didn't necessarily consider as much about uh, their their plate approach being a little bit different. There, Contreras is somebody that. You know, kind of goes up there, can take a walk, is ready to ready to put damage on you. It's, it's not a walk rate built on passivity, but rather 
he has a real strong command of what he's doing up there and no burden of having to catch. Now, Gary Sanchez is not having to catch a whole lot either. He's been basically catcher DH. He split his time between those two positions. So he, too, is getting a little bit of a break from being behind the dish, which is going to help the health and, of course, like you mentioned, the mental approach. So we do like those two the most. I'll give a little bit of a shout-out to our former Longhorn, Cameron Rupp, who's having a really nice season, kind of built on the fact that he's he's gotten better against righties, which is was always an issue previously for him. Uh, he's really, you know, I don't know if he's figured something out long term, but at least for this year, he's definitely figured it out a bit. Not even to the level where he's like super great, but a 772 OPS for Cameron Rupp against righties has allowed him to hit 10 bombs and 250 plate appearances. I'll take that all day because the 60 to 80 plate appearances that he's going to get against lefties, he usually rakes them in. So that ends up being kind of a a, a full-time starter. And something that we hit on yesterday was who's going to take his place? You know, Tommy Joseph is too many concussions to be catcher. Carlos Ruiz is 100. Uh, maybe Jorge Alfaro, but he's another one of these guys who's playing other positions because, A, because they love his bat and they want to get him to the majors, or at least that's what Texas was doing when they were experimenting with other pitchers, but also just doesn't look like somebody who's who's destined to be a full-time catcher. Yeah, and, and Ruff is a valuable asset in terms of, you know he can handle the grind of catching. He's not a sexy catcher. And I mean that looks-wise and <laughs> playing-wise. Don't um, lie. You thought he was good-looking when he went here, but he hasn't aged as well for you. He was a, fi- he was a fire plug you know, when he was at UT. That's, yeah. that's kind of what he was. Um, he's a thick guy. And you know he's going he's gonna to be durable, and he's, he's a safe pick to be your catcher. But you're not going to end up getting like the high upside of like a Luke Roy or a Posey. And that's, you don't need that, though. I love him you as a C2. That, that I love him as a C2. Um, you know, not, not, not just even in like NL only leagues where you might actually have to be a C1 now, but uh, in mixed leagues, I'll take him as a C2. He's going to come for nothing. Just give me those, g- give me those upper teens, low 20s bumps. He's never hit 20s, but uh, I think next year when he kind of is the more the full time guy, 65 35 sort of split. And he stays healthy. He's got a chance to pop 20, 20 or so bones. I think that's. I'll take I think that. that's very fair. I also think. I, I think that's a very fair analysis of him. And he's the type of guy because once you get past the top three catchers, it's just a hodgepodge of God knows what. And he would be at the upper tier of that hodgepodge of I don't know what the heck's going on, offensively with catchers. And then you have your bottom feeders that, if you really got to roster them, just. Go for it and just hope the rest of your team's really good. Absolutely. So, I mean, th- those are the three that we're looking at there. I'm not even really concerned with with the old guys right now, McCann and Martin. I know Martin's—he's had some decent games lately. Uh, been hitting better than he was at the beginning of the year when he was just an utter nightmare. But I think these young guys, you know, if if, if they're available for the tw- the tweeter, uh, whoever sent this in to <laughs> choose from, then by all means go go for one of them. But uh, I think even next year I'd be looking toward Sanchez and Contreras and even Rupp. Maybe not Rupp over Martin next year, but uh, for the rest of the season, I'm looking at those three. I would take Rupp over Martin. I think there's more upside to Rupp, even though Martin has better skills over time. I think that the power, I think the power being gone might be a real thing for uh, Martin. And Martin's going to be another year older. You know, he's taking a beat beating back there, and you know, he could end up being one of those guys whose offense just keeps going down, but he's so good behind the dish that he just keeps playing, and almost at at some point, he almost becomes a detriment to you. 
if you know he's batting 220 or something, which we have seen, you know, 226 average in 2013. He hit 211 back in 2012. It's not unheard of for Russell Martin to kind of go in the tank a bit. And if he's not hitting those bombs like you mentioned, because he's he's basically halved his home run output this year. Now he gets uh, another month and a half to keep from keep from doing that. Maybe ends up with 15, 16, but that's still compared to 23 last year. That's a big drop off for Martin. So I got you there. And doesn't he have Josh Tolley competing for? Oh, sorry. No, I just vomited in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna that. go punch myself in the throat just for having heard that. Uh, all right, oh, Paula. Sorry. We, we we tried a second time. I'm desperately hoping that this is being heard by folks uh, within an hour from from us stopping here. It looks everything everything looks like it's recording. What I ended up just doing was cycling back to the way I always do it. The problem I keep running into is Skype likes to auto update itself. I go in, I turn automatic updates off, and then every time I come back to my computer after a couple days of doing that, there is a new version in that does not work with the call recorder, call graph that I like to use. So it's very, very infuriating, um, and I'm trying to figure out a more long-term solution, but I think this will work for us today and tomorrow when we record again. I'll talk to you tomorrow, Paul. Talk to you tomorrow.